0: Ha, <laughs> ha,
1: Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast
2: dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of
3: time? That's what we're here to find out. We're almost done with our Summer Long Listener Library series, featuring suggestions from you, our patient and loyal listeners. Jill writes... Love you guys, listen to all your episodes some several times. I'm pretty sure you haven't played Hands of Death from the Sealed Book and I'd love to hear it again plus your your fabulous banter. Hmm. I used to try to listen to your podcast before bed, but you had me laughing so hard I had to block out time just to listen. Keep it up. Thanks. The Sealed Book was created by Robert Arthur and David Cogan,
1: best remembered for their long-running anthology series, The Mysterious Traveler. Arthur and Cogan made a profitable habit of using the same scripts for multiple series. Many of the early Mysterious Traveler scripts were from Dark Destiny, a short-lived program the duo created for the New York Mutual Broadcasting affiliate, WOR. In turn, the Sealed Book utilized scripts originally Presented on The Mysterious Traveler. In the early 60s, many of the duo's scripts reappeared once again, this time on radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense.
2: The sealed book ran on the Mutual Broadcasting Network from March 18th through September 9th, 1945. Although the scripts were recycled from The Mysterious Traveler, they were carefully chosen to create a specific effect. Author Richard J. Hand described the sealed book as consciously different from The Mysterious Traveler in that it tended to revel in the heightened melodrama of plot and performance rather than focus on the straight and generally understated journeys listeners shared with The Mysterious Traveler.
3: We should also mention the sealed book was nationally syndicated, so it didn't have an ongoing sponsor. Instead, director Jack McGregor inserted extravagant Hammond organ solos which could be removed by local affiliates and replaced with their own commercials. The existing copies of the sealed book retain the original organ riffs, and they're really long. So, with that in mind, please enjoy Hands of Death, the debut episode of the sealed book, originally broadcast March 18, 1945. It's late at night, and
1: a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. <laughs>
4: The
0: Once again, the keeper of the book is ready to unlock the ponderous volume in which is recorded all the secrets and mysteries of mankind through the ages. All the lore and learning of the ancients. All the strange and mystifying stories of the past... The present and the future. Of the book. What tale will you tell us this time?
4: First, I must unlock the great padlock which keeps the sealed book safe from prying eyes. <laughs> now, what story shall I tell you? I have here tales of every kind: tales of murder, of madness. ...of dark deeds and of events strange beyond all belief. <laughs> there. Now let me see. Yeah, yes. Here's a tale for you. A dark story of two brothers. One of them killed because he could not help himself. The other one was interested in murder, too... But in a very different way. The title of the tale is The Hands of Death. Here is the tale as it is written in the sealed book. It began in San Francisco on a night of thick, suffocating fog. A young man hurrying homeward turns a corner and bumps abruptly into a huge figure striding
5: toward him.
6: Oh, oh. oh excuse me. Fog is so thick, I didn't see you. It's all right.
5: Uh, tell me, do you live here? Hmm? Uh,
6: here in San Francisco? Why? Why, yes, I do. Do you know where Edward Morlock lives now? Why? No, I. No, I never heard of him. Now, if you'll excuse uh, me, wait. but, but I, I've really got to get home. I and... just want a light from your cigarette. Oh, of course. Here, I'll hold it for you.
5: Uh, just hold it like that. No, <clears throat> oh, what is it? What's the matter? Nothing. It,
6: It's nothing. It's my hands,
5: isn't it? They frightened you. No, no, it's... It, it's nothing. My hands, they disgusted you. No, no, of course not. They frightened you because they're not like other people's hands. No, no, no. no. let go of me. I assure you that... Are you I thought I was a freak. Let go of me. You're crazy. You're... I'm not crazy, you here. I'll show you. No. No. I'll, I'll show you. you. He's <laughs> all about it. Phantom Strangler in San Francisco.
0: Victim killed and fire. He's
6: Oh, the Phantom Strangler is at work in San Francisco. (laughs) Jennings will be interested in that. I beg your pardon, (laughs) Mr. Moore. Oh, yes, Jennings? Uh, The postman just brought this package, sir. Oh, package, eh? Give it to me. Yes, sir. Now, wheel me over to the window. Of course, sir. Ah, this is close enough, Jennings. Uh, This package, I suppose you noticed it came from my agent in New York? Yes, sir, I did. Then perhaps you can guess what's in it. Hey, Jennings. No, sir, but I have no doubt it's another nice addition to your collection of objects having to do with famous murders, sir. (laughs) Yes, indeed, a nice addition. But speaking of murders, uh, have you seen this morning's San Francisco paper yet? No, sir. Well, look at these headlines. Uh, Read them out loud. Playboy murdered in fog. Phantom Strangler breaks victim's neck. (laughs) Then he's back. Your brother Cain is back. Yes, back in San Francisco, looking for me. And he'll keep looking for you. And if he finds you, he'll kill you. Yes, he's dedicated his life to that purpose. And all because he feels I cheated him out of his share of the money our father left us. Oh, it's a great pity. Yes, sir. Of course, we know the truth. Quite so. As you say, we know the truth. However, I hardly think Cain will find me here. No, sir. So we'll forget about him. Uh, Jennings, tomorrow afternoon, a neighbor is dropping in for tea. A neighbor, sir? Yes, Inspector Tennant, the head of the local police force. He's coming to view my little collection. Of course, sir. He may bring a friend with him. So have plenty of everything. Yes, sir. Well, that's all. What are you waiting for? Excuse me, sir. I, I wanted to speak to you about this check you gave me yesterday for my month's salary. Well, what about it? It's for the usual 500, isn't it? Yes, sir, but uh, you see, Mr. Morlock, I, I've been thinking in these times I ought to have more. More? Just how much do you consider your services worth, Jennings? Shall we say a thousand a month. A thousand a month? It's quite reasonable, I think. After all, if I were to tell the authorities all I know about your father's will... And how it happened that the entire fortune came to you and none to Cain. Never mind, but... Jennings. I'll make out another check. Thank you, sir. But be careful you don't drive me too far. Or you may regret it. Oh, I think I'll be safe enough, Mr. Morlock. After all, confined to that wheelchair as you are, you need me. That's enough. Go so get your check later. Yes, sir. Very good, Mr. Morlock. Mm. So you're getting greedy, are you, Jennings? I must find some way to discourage you. Yes, some way to discourage you.
4: Afternoon, Edward Morlock, the strange crippled collector of murder relics, enjoyed himself thoroughly playing host to Police Inspector Tennant and Mr. Norman Smith, the criminologist friend of his. He began by showing them his latest acquisition, the one that had come by mail just the day before.
6: And uh, now, gentlemen, look... Cashmere shawl? Yes, but no ordinary cashmere shawl. Until last month, it was owned by two very old sisters who lived in a dingy house in Baltimore. In Baltimore? Yes. You mean that's the shawl? Exactly, gentlemen. That's the shawl with which the two old ladies were strangled by a sneak thief. Well, I'll be darned. It's a prize worthy even of my collection, which is, I flatter myself, the most complete of its kind ever assembled. Funny hobby, I'd call it. (laughs) (laughs) Every man to his taste, Inspector. Murder is your business, but it's my hobby. Now, if you'll just pull back those curtains there, the rest of my collection is on the shelves behind them. These curtains? That's right. Well, I'll be jiggered. This is most interesting, Mr. Morlock. Yes, I knew you'd think so. Look there on the wall. An authentic headsman's axe. It was used in the brutal murder of the Baron de Morley, uh, an ancestor of mine in the 15th century. And right there below it is the blood-stained dress worn by one of the victims of Jack the Ripper. And on the next shelf... (laughs) And so there, gentlemen, you have the highlights of my collection... How do you like them? Well, if that's the sort of thing you're interested in, I'll say your collection does seem complete. Thank it is you. indeed. In fact, there's really nothing missing except perhaps a murderer and a victim. What did you say? That the only thing missing from your collection is a murderer and a victim. <laughs> the most interesting thought, Mr. Smith. And after all, why not? Why not what? Oh, excuse me, Inspector. I was just thinking out loud. Oh. Well, I'm afraid we've got to go now, Morlock. Hey, Smith? Yes, you're right, Inspector. It's been a great pleasure having you, gentlemen. And I do hope you'll call again. Yes, Mr. Morlock, you rang. Yes, Jennings. Before you help me to bed, I want you to mail these letters. Yes, sir. There are major newspapers in San Francisco and contain a message to be inserted in their personal columns. A message? Yes, to my brother Kane. We used to communicate this way in the past. uh, Toto. here is a copy of the message. You may read it. If the gentleman with the unusual hands will visit his brother in Santa Villa, he will learn something to his advantage. (laughs) You're inviting him here? Exactly. You've decided to play safe, to trap him and turn him over to the police? (laughs) Oh, that's clever of you, Jennings. Yes, very clever. But you've already proved you're clever, haven't you? Now just take these letters out and mail them, and soon, quite soon, I think, we shall be seeing my dear brother Kane again. <laughs>
4: My story, the hand of death, as it is written in the sealed book. After Edward Morlock had put into effect his plan to bring his brother Cain to him, he sat in his wheelchair and waited, seeming much amused at some secret thought of his own. One day passed. Newspapers carried strange new headlines. Extra, read all about it. Phantom Strangler in Los Angeles. Extra, read all
6: about it. <laughs> so, Brother Kane was in Los Angeles last night, Jennings. Hey, he's getting closer. I shouldn't be surprised if he arrived here tonight. I, I don't like it. Oh, nonsense, Jennings. You know you've got nothing to fear from Kane. Unless, of course, you're so careless as to make some remark about his hands. I know, but he intends to kill you. I think I'll be able to control him. I want you to bring me a glass of milk. Cain is very fond of milk. Glass of milk? With a triple dose of sleeping powder in it. But I don't understand. Never mind. Just do as I say. Uh, What's that? I imagine that's Cain now. Cain? Here already? Quick. I'll let him in. You get that glass of milk ready. And bring it in when I ring. Yes, sir. When you ring, sir. Oh, come in, Kane. I've unlocked the window.
5: Yes, I'll come in, Edward. Now that I've found you at last. Well, I'd
6: hardly say you found me, Kane. Uh, I sent for you.
5: It's the same thing. Now I'm where I can put my hands around your throat at last. I'm going to kill you. Now, do you hear? Kill you? Kane, sit down. Never what?
6: Sit down. I want to talk to you. All right, I'll sit down, but you can't change my mind. Tell me, Kane, how many people have you killed since you got out of the penitentiary? Seven. Seven, Seven murders?
5: They looked at my hands. They were disgusted. I didn't kill them. My hands did. You hear, I didn't want to kill them, but my hands killed them anyway. Why, of
6: course, I understand. Your hands. Your great grandfather had hands like yours, you know, Cain. Don't talk about it anymore. Of course not, Kane. But you must be hungry. I'll ring for Jennings. He'll
5: fix something for you. Yes, I am hungry. But
6: please, Kane, don't startle the poor fellow. He's very much afraid
5: of you. Why? Why is he afraid of me? It's your
6: hands. He says they give him nightmares.
5: My hands give him nightmares. Oh, you
6: mustn't blame him, Kane. He can't help.
5: My hands give him nightmares. Yes, sir. I've brought you a glass of milk, Mr. Morlock. That's right.
6: Oh, thank you, Jennings. Uh, Just put it down here. Yes, sir. Uh,
5: Why are you looking at me like that, Jennings? Uh, I'm not looking at you, Mr. Kane. You're looking at my hands. They upset you. They give you nightmares. No, 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 Mr. Kane. That's not true. I'll show you. I'll give you a reason to be afraid of my hands. Mr. Morlock, help me. I'll show you. I'll show you. You're kidding. Help. There. I don't teach you to be afraid of my hands.
6: You can let him go now, Kane.
5: He's dead. And my hands, they've killed again.
6: Yes, he's dead. Oh, you've been very wicked, Kane.
5: I didn't want to kill him. My hands did it. My hands, you hear?
6: You must be quiet now, Kane. You must rest. I
5: didn't want to kill him.
6: Here, drink this milk. Then lie down and rest for a while. We'll talk some more in the morning. All right. I'll drink it. I'll take care of everything. That's right, Kane. Lie back and sleep. Sleep soundly. So, you would blackmail me, would you, Jennings? And you would kill me, would you, Kane? But I've been too clever for both of you. (laughs) Hello. Hello, police headquarters. Connect me with Inspector Tennant, please. I want to report a murder. So, there you are, Inspector. Kane was in the penitentiary for assault with intent to kill. Apparently, he escaped since then. He's been seeking for me, meaning to kill me. Good heavens, Morlock. Like. Then he's the strangler who's been doing all these killings. Yes, I'm afraid so. Oh, and I never guessed until he showed up tonight to kill me because he thought, you see, quite wrongly that I had cheated him of his inheritance. Jennings bravely came to my rescue and Kane throttled him. Then I tricked Kane into drinking some drugged milk and... Well, there you are. But why, man? Why? Why did he kill all these people? Because of his hands. His hands? Well, you saw his hands tremendously strong. Not hands at all, really, but more like demon's claws. Kane is morbidly sensitive about his deformity. When he feels someone is frightened by his hands, he kills them just like that. It's a good thing we got him at last. You can take him along now quite safely. But be sure to keep him well locked up, Inspector. And don't let anyone get within reach of his hands. A few
4: weeks later, Kane Morlock entered the lethal chamber of the state penitentiary. Edward Morlock, the condemned man's invalid brother... Was one of the few spectators. Cain Morlock, with his last breath, cursed his brother, and swore that someday he would be avenged. Then he died. The following day, Inspector Tennant and his friend Norman Smith paid Edward Morlock another visit.
6: Oh, good evening, Inspector and Mr. Smith. It's very kind of you to stop by tonight. We dropped in to see how you were making out, Mr. Morlock. Thought maybe, what, with your trip yesterday and the shock, that perhaps... Oh, no, 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 no. no. I'm quite all right, thank you. What must be, must be. You see, I'm a philosopher. You have somebody looking after you? Yes, Philippe. A Filipino boy is taking poor Jennings' place. Oh, and, uh, gentlemen, that reminds me... I have something here that will interest you. Mm -hmm. Something that will interest us? Yes, here on the table beside me. uh, This jar. A burial urn, isn't it, Mr. Morlock? Exactly. And in this burial urn are the ashes of poor, murdered Jennings. Jennings' ashes? Yes. You mean you're going to keep them with you? Of course, gentlemen. I was very fond of Jennings, very fond. What more fitting than that I should keep his ashes to remind me of his years of faithful service. Besides, well, I can always look upon them as part of my little collection. Your collection? Yes, the Inspector. It was Mr. Smith here who pointed out that complete as it was, it lacked both a murderer and his victim. Well, here are the ashes of the victim. Great heavens. (laughs) That's rather a unique item, Mr. Morlock. Yes, indeed. But the really choice addition to my collection Collection is here in this box, which just arrived. Uh, Would you care to look at it, gentlemen? What in the world? You needn't guess. (laughs) I'll lift the lid and. uh... See. Merciful heavens. A pair of hands. The hands of your brother Cain. Exactly. I can't believe it. But what is so strange about it, gentlemen? There are the ashes of a murder victim. Here are the unique and terrible hands that throttled him. Where in all the world will you find a collector who can boast such items as these? You must be mad. Morlock, <laughs> did you plan all this from beginning to end? Plan it? Mr. Smith, how could I? You're quite mad. We can never prove it. You could prove nothing. <laughs> nothing. Inspector, I think we'd better go. Yes. Come on, let's get out of here before I do something I'd regret. Call again any time, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Easily upset, weren't they, Cain? Upset by your hands. Your great, strong hands that are going to become the prize items of my little collection. The distorted hands of a murderer. Ooh, how cold they are. And yet I can almost feel the murderous strength in them still... You wanted so bad that you'd close your hands about my throat, didn't you, Kane? But it's too late now. You're dead. And your hands are dead, too. Lifeless. Would you like to see how your hands look at my throat here? I'll place them there for you. See how nicely they fit around my neck. Just as if they. Oh. Oh. Let go of me. Your hands. They're choking me can't breathe. I... Uh. Morlock, what is it? Where are you? Inspector, look. They're on the floor. Good Lord. It's Morlock. And... No. No, it can't be. His brother's hands have clutched around his throat. They've strangled him. <laughs>
4: And that is the story of the hands of death, as it is written in the sealed book. Edward Morlock was quite dead when they found him, with his brother's severed hands about his throat. But they called his death heart failure. (laughs) For who would believe that two dead hands by themselves could wreak the vengeance that Cain Morlock swore to have before he died. (laughs) And perhaps it was heart failure. (laughs) Perhaps Edward Morlock, thinking he felt the hands move, died of sheer terror. (laughs) You'll have to decide for yourself which is true. The answer is not written here. But the sound of the grape gong tells me I must lock the book once again.
0: One moment, Keeper, of the book. What story from the sealed book will you tell us next time?
4: Next time? <laughs> Are you sure you want to know? Perhaps my next story will be about you. For I have here all the stories that ever happened, and many that have not yet come to pass. But I'll find one for you in just a moment.
0: keeper of the book. Have you found the story that you'll tell us next time?
4: Yes, yes, I've found one. It's the story about a man who found the secret of immortality, of life everlasting, and how he tried to use it to make himself master of the earth. The title of the tale is The King of the World.
0: Be sure to be with us again next time. And the great gong heralds another strange and exciting story from...
4: (laughs) The Sealed Book.
0: The Sealed Book, written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan is produced and directed by Jock McGregor.
1: That was The Hands of Death from the sealed book here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was a listener request coming to us from... Jill. Yeah. Who said nice things. Thank you, Jill. Thank she you, Jill. said in the email that I was the funniest. That, that was really nice. I and do not recall that. That's <laughs> <laughs> no. what I took from...
2: Eric it. writes himself emails and signs them Jill. It's really <laughs> weird. How do you get get through the day. <laughs> Beer. Ah.
1: <laughs> well, where do we begin with the sealed book? Oh,
3: I know. Let's begin with the opening. How the yeah. sealed book <laughs> opens. Well, the thing I love is it has the person who was in charge of the book, mysterious figure, keeper of the book, and then the dedicated guy whose job it is to interact, interpret deal with the guy with the book. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> it's
2: very corporate America, yes. right? They need to downsize. There's
3: a lot of questions about what's going on here.
1: Do we know if there's any relationship between them stealing from the Hermit's Cave? Because uh, that's it, the same character,
2: is it not? It sounds yeah. so much like the Hermit. My head canon is that <laughs> this is a prequel to the Hermit's Cave. Okay, right? great. Where... This was the hermit's first job, and he's really bad at it. He got fired.
3: So he had to go off,
2: and now he doesn't have the book anymore,
3: but he just remembers some things from the
2: book. Bad times, he starts drinking, he ends up in a cave somewhere. Murders, too. (laughs) He actually says, and murders, too, in here. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot going on to get to the point of the story, isn't there? They even take the time for um, the keeper to go through the book. You hear the pages just yes. <laughs> like, my bookmark fell out. Give me a second. But I will give them Foley credit. Oh, yeah. Because those pages are large. Someone used big sheets of paper to give the image of the sealed book as right. ponderous as they described
1: <laughs> it. Someone went and actually bought one of those coffee table books that were half price at Barnes and Noble that looked like a good idea when you're in the store. History of the world,
3: what? yes, and it's I gigantic. bet that Sears catalog pages. Yeah. <laughs> is
1: uh, Speaking of, by the way, uh, Sears Roebuck, uh, Barnes & Noble, you can now buy reprints of the Sears Roebuck catalog. Wow. In their store. I I'm was like, wow. i strangely fascinated. Yeah, it's just absolute reproductions. Anyway, uh, I saw that and I was like, <laughs> well, there we've come, full circle. <laughs> But men's dress shirts, two bucks. It was a deal, yeah. man. Oh. It was a good deal. Should've Can you get some.
2: a Kindle edition of a series catalog? Because that would be awesome. <laughs> so, We're just kind of dancing around the story here. Yeah. There's a lot to go into. There really is.
1: <laughs> so he has a brother, Kane. Is hmm? uh, it Edward?
2: Yes. Edward, the Classic and, brother pair. Yes. Kane and Edward.
1: Kane, yes. So brother, Kane, and he is able but Edward is not able. See, he's oh, in a he wheelchair. Disabled. He's yeah. disabled. So it's it's Cain and disabled. <laughs> Do you think they did that on purpose? Uh, is that a layer that's there? Or I don't think disabled a was a term they used a lot of the time. Well, it's brilliant if they had. <laughs> Instead of Cain and able, she we're gonna make it Cain and uh, disabled. <laughs> Put the guy in a wheelchair. <laughs>
3: Sixty years from now, this will be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I thought I was on to something. I also thought I was on to something when I found out his name was Edward. I was, oh, I hope his brother's name is Edmund. I thought we had a King Lear thing going on here with brothers at each other's throats and a good one and a bad one, although they're both pretty much bad in this.
2: I love how of all the radio shows that we've listened to, that this episode of the Sealed Book is the one that Eric decides to really dig deep on, <laughs> looking for looking for the hidden layers. <laughs>
1: I didn't look. They came to me because you guys are rubbing off on me. You gotta you got keep your mind open. There's, there's more happening here than meets the eye. Every word means something else. It's not just a guy chasing a guy and putting him in jail. That's not what's happening. In this
3: episode, a guy chases a guy. <laughs> That's pretty much it.
1: So the story itself, there's a lot of a lot of holes so As, a lot far of as holes in suspenseful judgment. Suspenseful
3: plot twists. I'm even going to stop myself because you're right. Holes. That's the big thing of... He's next door to a police chief? So he invited him over to view his right. murder museum? Yeah. What?
1: Yeah, there's number one. <laughs> like, why are you doing that? What is the point? Unless it's to
3: flaunt, I guess.
1: Oh, it is.
2: He's an arrogant guy who's proud of his collection. He's just gloating
3: over the fact that he's going to invite them over and show them everything. I mean, it's a, a different time than it is now. I can't invite neighbors over to look at my collection of anything.
1: <laughs> no, right?
3: <laughs> I think from the story point of view, it's obviously ridiculous. Yes.
2: But I find it so fun to listen to because every scene has more information and some surprise and twist. There are four or five old-time radio stories crammed into this single (laughs) one, which makes it really exciting to listen to. You know, a guy with a... Brother, who's a serial killer—that's mm-hmm. uh, just a story by itself. Mm-hmm. A guy who collects murder items—that's a story. Blackmailing but, Butler—that's Black, a whole story. I mean, they're just like let's check all the boxes here and let's make some new boxes to check that nobody's ever heard of. It's <laughs> like uh, a clearinghouse from the writers' room at the end of a season. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I will jump to my favorite part of the story—the part that just made me fall in love with it for all of its warts which is at the end when he has a box with his brother's hands and then decides just to really rub it in his now dead face, I'm going to put your hands on my throat. And mm-hmm. weird guy just rubbing dead brother's hands on himself. <laughs> like, that is so weird and wrong in a wonderful way. It's, it was like David Lynch for me. Like, David Lynch came back in he time. He
2: and- really was like David Lynch. That seems like a cut scene from head or Blue Velvet or something. That's an interesting... <laughs> Dennis Hopper breathing into these giant <laughs> hands. <laughs>
1: it's an interesting take on that. I, I'm going to read you my exact word for word. Like, as I was listening, I was typing. Oh, here come the hands. Ah, uh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. They're going to come alive. Don't do it. Don't put them around your neck. Don't. Oh! So my whole thing was, why are you doing that? Of course they're going to come alive. But you see it as this insane person... Like you said, a blue velvet,
3: a silence of the lambs, mm-hmm. uh, almost grotesque I mean, it was probably uh, enjoyment of in that. function, just for the plot, we need to plausibly get these severed hands at this guy's throat. Right, that's where I was going. Yes, and they wanted to leave an ambiguous ending. Uh, the keeper says, maybe he died of a heart attack. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, he says,
2: maybe he died of a heart attack. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, once the, actually the, he started being strangled, I, I was like, oh, he's being strangled. It was just so enjoyably weird to have him... Jim's like I wish it were more erotic instead (laughs) (laughs) of horror. (laughs)
1: But you knew that was coming. The hands are going to come
2: alive and kill them. I got so sidetracked. Like, what is he doing with those hands? But here's the thing: you don't know what's coming because this story sort of defies expectation by how much weird stuff happens. It there does are plot holes, and then there are just things that
3: say, "Yeah, that's a plot hole. We're going to leap right over it in an exciting <laughs> manner." And that's <laughs> it. Does have foreshadowing of that? It's just that everything else is, and it is so face value straightforward that it, you don't realize afterwards oh they did foreshadow that it was his hands were doing the killing not him mm-hmm. And while I'm just jumping around on topics, the cute little old guy murderer voice, like, oh, I'm an angry killer, and I'll kill you if you look at my... (laughs) It's adorable. (laughs) Really? Is the brother? Yes. The brother is the same
1: character actor playing uh, the Hermit. Isn't it not the same as the narrator? uh, It very well might
2: be. Yeah, it sounds uh, very similar. I was thinking,
3: uh, is it Herman Woolman from Simpsons? Oh, yeah, a
2: little (laughs) like that. And I think it's because they wanted you to be sympathetic to him. I think it works. But they're my (laughs) hands. I didn't murder anybody. Yeah. What are you looking at, Eric?
1: (laughs) So much character work—it was distracting.
2: I loved it because they were all on the same page. The stuff right. that I don't like is when you're listening to a radio show and three actors are doing one thing, and then there's the one guy who's like, this is my big chance. Oh, this was the, very ent- entire the entire cast of Next
1: Generation
2: is what you're saying. <laughs> wow. It's one
1: guy doing uh, some good work. And then a bunch of other people, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, that is yeah. distracting. You're right. That's what made that terrible. Thank you, Joshua. <laughs> I
3: just solved the next generation for Eric. <laughs> it's Denise Crosby, right? She was doing the really good, serious work, and then everyone else is just... Yeah. Yes. Patrick Stewart riding Denise Crosby's <laughs> coattails. Well, that guy's Stewart. Look at me!
1: <laughs> I'm all acty. Sorry, Jill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And back on top So I get what you're saying The premise of it is everybody's a freaky character Everybody's over the top, so it's fine
2: Yeah, and one of the reasons I included This quote from Richard J. Hand Who wrote a great book on horror radio I think he really explicitly states What makes the sealed book interesting And it is that it doesn't try to do Anything understated As we said in the intro, it just focuses on Heightened melodrama and plot And performance, and that's
3: it, <laughs> And there's something really fun to see some of those other things just stripped away. Yeah, I would <laughs> say in this one, like, the performance is astounding. It's breathtaking, and the plot is a little confusing. <laughs>
2: well, But a... if you're not sure what's going on, one of the characters is going to tell you at some point. <laughs> for example,
1: there was a curse uttered by Cain before he died. Mm-hmm. We don't know that because for some reason... They didn't see fit to have Cain utter the curse before he died.
3: I curse you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that it's, might be why. If you recorded it and went, that's uh, not very threatening. Why couldn't we have heard that, though? We have to be told by the narrator. I, I, that struck me when I first listened to it, too. But I have one theory is that by 1945, that as a plot device was so tried and true the guy on the electric chair who says he will come back and kill somebody. There Mm -hmm. are like four episodes of The Shadow like that. Lots of other horror suspense shows. So it might have just been, you know, that old chestnut? (laughs) Yeah, we'll just quick tell you in a sentence because you all know this. I will tell you that it feels like... Uh, well, we're not going to go back and write
1: something in. We're going to keep moving forward. Have him say it now that we thought of that. You know what I mean? Like It's yeah. a
2: last-minute thought as they're cranking out a script. I'm going to jump back to the David Lynch comparison because that omission mm-hmm. of that scene reminded me a lot of particularly the recent Twin Peaks reboot where it just – Goes in a direction that you think it's going, what you think standard Western narrative would do, <laughs> and then just totally subverts it. Um, it also That's... reminded me of the new Twin Peaks because uh, the organ solos, the long organ <laughs> solos. Cause there's a brilliant scene in this series where David Lynch does a three minute scene of a guy sweeping a bar with uh, green onions playing in the background. And for some reason, it's the most mesmerizing, <laughs> suspenseful weird thing I've ever seen, <laughs> and I loved it.
1: It's a fine line, though, when you're trying to do things uh, in a David Lynch kind of way and and how quickly it can turn on you. In this case, for this show, it seemed haphazardly thrown together, Ed Wooded, but I also get what you're saying, or oh, were they geniuses? And. And that they were trying... I don't think I
3: used the word genius. <laughs> genius is a strong word.
1: <laughs> but, you know, were they yeah. trying to do that or were they just crank... This could very well be... Yeah, that'll be fine. Put that on the air this yeah. week. It has
2: that quality mm-hmm. to it. I don't know if they were using this from a previous script. But they are. This was originally a Mysterious
3: Traveler episode. Right. Like, very early Mysterious Traveler. Perhaps they were reusing a script that was, at the time it was created, created under a heavy deadline. Like, just finish the script. But it's performed with such gusto. Or perhaps they dropped all the pages and they got in
1: (laughs) a different order
2: and they just read them. It moves in a logical progression Mm -hmm. of bizarre events. Yes. yes. (laughs) I don't think it's difficult to follow. Like I said, everyone explicitly states out loud their motives and intentions (laughs) (laughs) to the point that the visiting inspector actually calls Edward on it at one point. Um, and says, what was that, Edward? And Edward says, oh, nothing. I was just thinking out loud,
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> as we all do, <laughs> about murder. Let's also go back and visit the uh, the butler's relationship with... God, is Tim going to talk again?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, I was just talking out loud.
3: <laughs> Let's go back to the butler, Tim. He is blackmailing his wheelchair... Uh... Adult. What's the right word there? Bound. Bound. Thank sure. you. Wheelchair bound. I like wheelchair addled. <laughs> I just had too much wheelchair, didn't I? <laughs> it's a new designer drug. <laughs> yes. For $1,000 a month. Right. Yes. <laughs> Which I understand is probably more shocking at the time. $1,400 yeah. <laughs> by today's Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to believe this was written over 70 years ago. Wow. And uh, it's still entertaining. <laughs> yes. Because he is blackmailing, because he knows that by some mysterious, unstated, largely unrelated to the current plot reason... He'd, had stolen his brother's inheritance I mean related they in don't that, tell us yes but it's secret
2: <laughs> I, I don't no. think it's secret they didn't write it it's only secret how he stole it but that's boring we just know that he stole his brother's inheritance I was just they keep his his brother... referring to it without yeah. saying it you're right but it and, uh, becomes but I... the reason to kill the butler so that he can become the victim of in ashes. an urn and I say that with love you, you see the backwards engineering of this script yes they yes. start with the end it's a guy caressing his neck with his butler in an urn <laughs> how do we get there
1: (laughs) I can prove my point that I'm right that they wrote this quickly on the fly and without a lot of thought because at the end he says what's the next story I don't know. Uh, Still writing it. Let's take a quick 40-minute organ break. And then they came back, and they didn't say this, but it sounded like, there it is. I found one. Uh, Thanks for stalling, organ. And somebody wrote on a napkin some plot premise and handed it to them.
3: (laughs) And they said, well, hell, we got to write that now. I heard Uh, once, and I'm going to say this as though it were true. That back in the day when Superman comics, you would feature, like, ridiculous Superman dressed as an Indian chief fighting Mm. dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. way these stories would be created is they'd go find some eight-year-old and say, what do you want Superman to do? And they'd say, like, three random little kid things, and they'd make that cover and then hand it to their writers and artists and say, make this comic book. That explains (laughs) a lot of covers.
5: (laughs) It really does. A
3: lot of Wonder Woman covers, too. And that is a very plausible
2: origin for this story. Yes. (laughs) And his brother loves milk.
5: (laughs) Boy, does he.
2: (laughs) So much that
1: he's just, I know you hate me, and I know you know I'm going to kill you, but I'm going to drink that.
2: (laughs) I just strangled a man. I am parched. (laughs) (laughs) I thought this was really a bizarre specific detail. Milk. And part of me was: are you trying to see the brother as someone who's kind of um, mentally damaged, so almost childlike? Is that why there's uh, Mm -hmm. milk Uh as an invitation? Now you're giving it credit. I know, but then I also heard another episode, which I will probably next year bring to this podcast of Hall of Fantasy, that had another similar plot point from about the same year about this evil guy bringing somebody milk. And now I'm wondering if I am missing some sort of like historical, sort of the, cultural like thing. the classic Culture. way to hide sleeping powder is in milk. Maybe that's it. I think this might have been a drugged drink as well, but it was also milk. And it totally stood out It's this horrible, hard-boiled story. And then it's like, milk, anyone?
5: <laughs>
2: <laughs> milk might not have been so uh, associated with childhood and children then as it is today. I just throw that out there. I like milk. Grow up, Tim. Grow up. <laughs> So if some listener out there who is a Try professor of milk, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, milk adult. Yeah, yeah. Eric's First like, I all- own
1: that movie. <laughs> exactly. First of all, how did you get that job? I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of when uh, sugared cereal became popular. It seems to me that'd be about the time that milk got like popular with the, kids. Yeah, the 50s. So oh, maybe. But then again, these are three men just talking right now. We realize that... Women make milk for babies. So I'm thinking. What? Uh, so I think the association with milk with children is probably always there.
2: Yeah, but I mean, as a drink, you would have uh, when you're not a baby. You know, to strengthen their bones. It's associated with children's continued growth through adolescence. I know about lactation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's giving this story too much credit to say uh, there's a layer here. See how childlike he yeah. is. I don't think that's on purpose. Because if it is, then the cane versus disabled <laughs> is also still
3: in the mix and a possibility. Yeah, you're right.
2: Anyway, let's talk about milk more,
3: though. <laughs> <laughs> this might be the episode that Jill can actually fall asleep to, as far as our banter goes. <laughs> Good night,
2: Jill. <laughs>
3: All right, let's vote. I would not call this a classic. Good idea. (laughs) Um, It stands the test of time to me in as much as it is so off the wall and weird that it becomes very modern in some ways. Um, It does have the quaint elements that sometimes get ascribed to classic horror like this of characters stating exactly what they're thinking and doing. But what they think and do is so weird. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That I would say it stands the test of
2: time. I'm going to agree with Tim. Uh, I think it definitely stands the test of time, but in a truly bizarre way, fitting <laughs> this episode. That the antiquated moments in it are all matched by things that seem very modern, in its self-awareness, and it's seeming self awareness and its desire to lean into these tropes and then say, hey, how about some more tropes? How about <laughs> you want plot? I got lots of plot. <laughs> Not a lot of sense, but a lot of plot. (laughs) I I just love it. I've heard this before. Jill recommended it, and I have listened to it several times for this podcast. I probably listened to this episode five times, and it continues to charm. (laughs) (laughs) I will uh, say that
1: it stands a test of time. I think there's a lot of interesting things, and it's definitely indicative of a, a style of the time and of this show, and it doesn't make any um, bones about what it is, so it's very stylized. It's pretty harmless. It isn't scary. It isn't suspenseful. It's pretty harmless fun horror.
2: I would listen to it again. I wouldn't, but sure. <laughs> it, has, it has a murder shawl in it.
1: I, there is a murder <laughs> shawl.
2: There is a murder shawl. you right. imagine him wearing the
3: murder shawl while he was rubbing his brother's hands against his neck? I did. It actually struck me that they were thinking... Okay, we we got to set up this murder museum. What imaginary props do we have? <coughs> oh, I have an imaginary shawl. Let's put, <laughs> use that for this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Not like a gun or a right <laughs> cleaver <laughs> shawl.
1: Th- that's a tough way to go. You know? <laughs> if your last thoughts, you know, are like ah, oh, cleaver of course, yeah, gun of course, shawl. Are you kidding? Yeah. Oh,
2: oh man, uh, that's
6: insult to injury.
2: But if we decide to form an improv group, can we call ourselves Murder Shaw? Murder Shaw. (laughs) Done. Yeah, absolutely. I I say yes because there's absolutely zero chance (laughs) of us forming an improv improv group.
3: group. No. Anyway, good night, Jill. (laughs) (laughs) Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That's where you'll find other episodes of this podcast. You'll also find information about our live performances. It's also a way to get a hold of us. Uh, if you have requests you'd like to make, like our fine listeners, like Jill, uh, you can go to ghoulishdelights.com and fill out a contact um, form. Uh, form. If you're contact <laughs> addled and like to reach us at <laughs> ghoulishdelights.com, uh, you can also reach us. Uh, there's links there to our Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter, uh, and you can get a hold of us that way. That's why we can't do improv.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We're too wheelchair-addled to do improv. (laughs) Uh, You can also go to patreon.com slash themorals and support this podcast if you are so inclined. We've got lots of great rewards for different levels of membership. Uh, We have buttons, membership cards, T-shirts. We have a monthly members-only podcast, The Secrets of the Mysterious Old Radio. Um, We have passed our first two goals, um, and so (laughs) we owe you guys some rewards. um, And that transitions nicely into episode 100 of this podcast, which is going to be our first reward for Passing the 100 mark on Patreon And that is going to be the War of the Worlds We'll yep. be discussing that on a big Double sized episode And uh-huh. then our next Reward at our 150 mark Which we passed is to uh, Listen to and discuss three skeleton keys So Yay. we got some big classics coming up So stay tuned
1: Alright can uh, someone give me a suggestion Of a flower
2: <laughs> <laughs> Any flower uh- Lilies. Lilies,
1: good. Okay. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> no, no, we go with lilies. I heard lilies. <laughs> next time we're gonna do let the lilies consider from quiet, please. Until then. Look out!
0: One moment, keeper of the book. What story from the sealed book will you tell us next time?
4: Next time? <laughs> I'll find one for you in just a moment.
0: Have you found the story that you'll tell us next time? Yes,
4: yes, I've found one.